Hello, I am Benton. I'm Annie. And we are Bent, Bent on, on Deconstruction. Deconstruction. That was good. So, Benton. Yes. Last week we were talking about this book I was reading by Brian McLaren, Faith After Doubt, right. which I found to be a super helpful framework for thinking about where I'm at now and where I've come from. Okay. And I wanted to pick up on that discussion by mapping McLaren's stages of faith development to our church timeline. But before we get into that, I I just wanted to add another note about the book. As I was reading it, my heretic alarm bells were going off. As they do. Do, do you know what I mean by that? Yes, you read something and you're like, this is treason. This is incorrect. Blasphemy. Blasphemy! Right. And I... It always weirds me out when that old me kind of comes back to the forefront. And these mindsets that I thought I'd left aside are, you know, still popping back up. And I got curious about what are other Christians saying about this guy? Okay. And, you know, I have this unfortunate hobby of going back and reading old books and journals and stuff that represent me mm-hmm. at very different points in my life. That includes books that are so awful I have literally burned them in a campfire. Yes. That was a good time. Yeah, but now I kind of regret getting rid of them because they would make for good material. So Maybe, maybe I, my Uncle John could hook us up with some more. Oh, right. We could get another copy of... In the, praise of the stay-at-home mom. Was that what it was? Yeah. And I am not a stay-at-home mom. Let's right. put it that way. That was a little bit passive-aggressive mm-hmm. on your uncle's part. In order to see how much I've changed, I do like to revisit those things or revisit those old voices that I used to trust so much. And it kind of freaks me out because, like I said, when I read this stuff, I kind of slip back into that kind of sense of fear Hmm. that I used to have when I would read that stuff. Like, I'll give you you an example. So I was looking around for reviews of McLaren's books and some big name evangelical conservative blog popped up and it was this blog series on false teachers. Hmm. Well, I I made the mistake of reading it and kind of fed those doubts I was talking about Hmm. last week. Like, oh no, am I going to be smote by a lightning bolt or whatever? Hmm. Was that the right verb form? Smitten? Or is that the past perfect? I was smote... Well, it definitely has a different connotation. God smote me. I have been smitten. Smited? God alone knows. 
<laughs> I remember feeling in the past like I was so good at picking up on those cues of heretics, right? Mm, the yeah. false teachings that were sometimes really subtle. And at the time, I thought it was discernment. Mm -hmm. And in retrospect, oh, I was just being a judgmental gatekeeper. Didn't you have that sense too, though? Like, ooh, yoga, that just doesn't, something doesn't feel right about that. But can you think of examples of times where your heresy radar pinged in the past? Um, The Shack. You hated that one. I never even read it. Uh, I just knew that big voices in evangelical Christianity were like, It's heresy! Okay, let me give you another one. Harry Potter. Oh boy. I remember specifically at a church going and praying on the mic about the spirit of Harry Potter. You mean to tell to me? To my current dismay. You prayed in front of your entire congregation against Harry Potter? I did. The sp Okay, the, the spir spirit. What is the spirit of Harry Potter? I must know. Well, obviously it's witchcraft. I mean, the whole book is about witchcraft and wizardry, which So it had The Bible says, "Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live." But did you realize that the extent of the witchcraft here was like, there's a magical train station that goes invisible, and... I had no There are clue. unicorns in the forest, and... All that I knew was... Right. You didn't read it, but you... I hadn't you read it. You stood in front of your church, and... Okay, okay, all mm -hmm. right, all right, I see where this is going. Yep. Well, this fits in with what McLaren calls his four stages of faith development ah. and the first one is simplicity which is characterized by very black and white thinking us versus them good versus bad voting for trump Ugh. you didn't vote for trump i never did fortunately, fortunately we got out of it in time to not be anywhere close to voting for trump hmm. nevertheless so that first stage i'm going to kind of overview them. And that first stage is also characterized by listening to certain authorities, right? So we trust mm -hmm. what our pastors tell us, or we trust what certain people within our communities tell us. And, Accepting of hierarchy. And distrustful of those outside. The second stage, he says, is more about pragmatism. Hmm. Oh, I can't even remember what he calls it. Complexity. Oh. So the idea here is that we're starting to evolve beyond that dualistic thinking. Sometimes this coincides with kind of getting out on our own. We have a sense of independence. We're going to go find our own faith, not just follow what our parents required of us. Mm -hmm. So you're more open-minded, but you're open-minded for the purpose of finding whatever particular brand of Christianity best appeals to you. And then the third stage he calls perplexity. It's Which is confusing, you know. <laughs> it's safe to say that's where I'm at right now. It's when... Oh, the other thing I should add is that 
He doesn't imply that one stage is necessarily always better than the other, because as we move through the stages, we retain the best of ourselves when we were in the the prior stages, Hmm. but we build on it. That's an optimistic way to look at it. Okay. Yes. And he also says that, of course, these are not hard and fast categories. Otherwise, that would defeat the entire purpose of his philosophy, which is to move beyond. Simple categories. And personally, I don't know that I find them the most convincing of categories, but they're nevertheless, they they give me some language for talking about some of these shifts in my faith life. They're useful guideposts. Yeah. And he says that what drives us from one stage to the next one is doubt. It's... Wait, what? Doubt is useful? It's helpful? Our whole last episode was about this topic. Were you not there? Okay, I was trying to tee you up. For what? (laughs) Oh, you were trying to tee me up to say, yeah, can you believe it? Here's a Christian saying it's okay to doubt. It's not only okay, it's a good thing. Amazing. And I was teeing you up to say, I doubt it. Oh, right, because I'm always trying to get a pun in. And that's not actually that funny. Moving on. So, for instance, you move from stage one to stage two when you start to question the authorities that you've always trusted. Right. And then in stage two, you start to question bigger conceptual things like, is the Bible inerrant? How does this fit with what I know of science? Etc. And stage three, this perplexity, another way to define it could be deconstruction, I suppose, Hmm. where you're really examining things, tearing them down, not necessarily rebuilding yet. And so there's sometimes a real cynicism or I don't want to use the word bitterness because that's been used so much to dismiss legitimate concerns and legitimate emotional responses on the part of Christians having having been spiritually abused in churches but anyway and at some point you start to doubt is this all there is is this the best we can do that drives you into stage 4 which he defines as harmony you're more comfortable with non-dualistic thinking he even gets into the mysticism of it at times like a real that. a real embracing of other world religions and huh. ways of being spiritual with hmm. or without the god of the christian bible interesting the other thing that it's characterized by is seeing love as the ultimate goal and seeing love in nature and people I confess, this was the part where I was most skeptical. Not because I don't love love, but it's just a little bit too... Fluffy. Oh, this is the answer. And it's always that, right? All you need is love. Love is all you need. Is that what you were singing? Yes. Oh, The Beatles song. Okay, just checking. But even, like, in Harry Potter... 
Voldemort couldn't kill Harry because his mom loved him. That's the power of love. It's the power of love. Yeah, okay. So, again, just whatever. My harmony might look different than yours, and that's the whole point of harmony is to be okay with that. Mm -hmm. Am I right in saying that you're maybe, in thinking that you're maybe at a stage three? Uh, Perplexity? Yeah, I've got some perplexity. I I would say that based on your description, I'm I have elements of the the harmony, the stage four, like um, you know, appreciating other belief systems. Um, like I definitely used to be one of those Christians who gritted his teeth every time he saw a coexist bumper sticker, and now I'm like. I am that freaking bumper sticker now. <laughs> or oh, I right. am the kind of guy who would drive it, but... Your heresy radar would, would ping. Yes. When you would see those bumper stickers. And now you're like, bring it on. Bring on the heresy. Pretty much. Now, we were both raised in Christian homes. For me, I would say I definitely grew up in a stage one church in the sense that it was very much about there is a right way to read the Bible, there is a right and wrong way to think about the world and politics and this and that. This was actually a, this was a charismatic church that I attended with my family until about middle school, I would say. Would you call it a non-denominational yeah, and in fact it actually was not affiliated with a particular so or no larger denomination. That's, that's what it comes down to, honestly. Mm-hmm. You got to watch watch out for those unaffiliated churches. But it was charismatic, and so we were holy, holy Spirit with no seatbelt, to steal a metaphor you've used in the past. Mm-hmm. You should have bought a Honda, but you bought a Subaru. That's the trick to speaking in tongues. You just talk about car regret. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we're so bad. Yeah. Yep. That's, Smite that got me, your, oh mighty smiter. Oh great smiter. So that got that right there got your uh your radar ping. Yes and no. I think I think I am fully justified in making good fun of it and I will tell s- stories about it in a bit, but I did want to hear about you at first because if I if my church was Holy Spirit no seatbelt then you were like Holy Spirit in a car seat. So you're talking about the church I grew up in, right? I would say it was more just like sitting on a bench. You know, there wasn't a seatbelt, but you weren't going anywhere. Um, so I, I was trying to figure out like what stage I would put the church or my experience of the church at. I d- it definitely wasn't black and white land, so it wasn't a stage one church. It was tradition. Yeah. It wasn't and, it wasn't spiritual depth. It wasn't like it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't a heart thing. Ooh. <laughs> Trigger. <laughs> no. Okay, here I, I should clarify. So when, when talking about these stages, I think we can use them to characterize ourselves as individuals. We can use them to kind of describe the general philosophy of a church. And I think it's totally possible for those things to be in conflict. 
right? Mm-hmm. Like oh, I was I was a misanthropic kid who did everything in my power to disagree with my childhood church. But you maybe were bristling against your church too for different reasons. I wouldn't say that I was bristling against my my ELCA church. Oh yeah, let's let's at long last get to what the actual denomination was. Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in an ELCA church. What does like it stand for? Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. Yeah, emphasis on the Lutheran more so than the evangelical. Absolutely, yes. Very tradition oriented. My dad went to this church. My grandpa went to this church. They celebrated their 150th anniversary while I was going to the church, you know, in high school. It was in an old building. It was in an old building, you know. Stained glass. Very nice. Stained stained glass. Organs. So, yeah, that that whole liturgy. Yes, liturgy. Liturgy is one of the things that, like, you're a fish, you don't know what water is. It's just all around you. Like, liturgy was, like, that was that was how church works. Oh. That was church. This is how you define church. Church is liturgy. You know, you get together and you, you go through a list, essentially, of things that you say that you believe, singing, and... Because you were a fish in water, you just kind of went with it, or you didn't really start... I mean, critiquing it until you saw the alternative. I yeah, I would say that it was um it was stage 1 light. Hmm. That's fair. Like I wasn't bucking the authority. I was just kind of there, you know, going through the motions. It was it was a social community sort of thing. Um Oh, your mention of it being a social community-based thing, that reminds Mm -hmm. me of another thing that McLaren talks about. He actually calls it this internal brain committee. Again, vast oversimplification of how our brains work, but he mentions that there's these different parts of the brain, some that really seek out a sense of belonging and community, Mm -hmm. and another part that seeks out just survival and comfort, right? The, the reptilian brain, if you will. And then there's the, the reasoning part of our brain or our, ourselves that seeks out intellectual consistency and mm-hmm. challenge. And he, he illustrates lots of different ways that these three essentially human needs can come into conflict mm-hmm. in, a, in a church slash faith context. Okay. And and that's just interesting to think about because in the ways that we have shifted our church attendance throughout the years, it, it felt like a series of trade-offs. For me, at one point, I really valued the intellectual side, and mm. you really valued the the heart side. <laughs> the experiential side. Yeah, the the expressive. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair way to put it. And I did not value that as much. And we happened to be stuck in these really different ideas of what church had to look like and what faith, what, you know, right faith had to look like. So incidentally, in that way, I think we were both (laughs) 
perhaps in our stage one simplicity thinking, mm-hmm. despite being in or despite seeking completely different types of denominational experiences. But as you were saying, you valued the the social aspect. I didn't feel like I had, okay, so I may not have, I may need to take a step back. And so it wasn't straight from um, the icebox into the frying pan, (laughs) shall we say. Oh, right. Um, So it was, there was some. You sat out on the countertop for a few hours de-thawing. Or thawing. Defrosting? You know what? Dethawing isn't even a word. I know unthawing is a word that means the same as the word thawing. And in that sense, it's a. Uh, what's the word for it? A contra. Contronym. That's right. Two words. Who sound like they should mean the opposite, yeah. but they mean the same thing. Precisely. This has been your linguistic digression. Woohoo! Woo-hoo. So, the. Church I grew up in, the ELCA church. Um, confirmation is a thing that goes goes with being baptized as an infant, which I was. You know, my my mom still has the gown in a um, display case in a glass case in a glass case of in emotion. the living room. the The idea behind confirmation is confirming the baptism or that baptism. It wasn't something, you know, like we didn't we didn't talk bad about other Christians at all uh, in the ELCA church. We just didn't talk about them. So there wasn't that thinly veiled anti-Catholic propaganda? The Lutheran church is close in a lot of ways to Catholicism, the, you know, Roman Catholic church. The difference is, um, uh, you know, you don't have to be celibate to be... I thought, okay, I thought Martin Luther, like, his whole thing was going against the Catholic Church. So he wanted to reform it. He wanted it to change. He didn't want to break out. Really? Like, that's that's why he nailed the 95 Theses. He wasn't just being a troll. He wasn't being a troll. He wasn't trying to tear it down. He was just like, there are problems, and we need to talk about them. And, and they were like, get out. And I can see how in the development of Lutheranism, they would have ported over some of the at least superficial elements, maybe not the theological elements. Right. The printing press was new at that time, and so I know that that is one of the things that definitely fueled the empowerment of of the peasants to read the Bible, was getting it translated, and then running a whole bunch of copies off so that people could read them and they didn't have to trust the clergy right. was, was telling them what the latin meant and okay and so on to be fair to catholicism you're kind of spouting i wouldn't call it a myth per se but it's it's a story that lacks nuance it's it is that it is also the story that was told to me by the Lutheran Church. Okay. So, so, so maybe it was thinly veiled anti-Catholic sentiment. Like Lutheranism was literally the first Protestant denomination. They split away and then 
you know, everybody else came after and they're just kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. whatever. Okay, okay. To break away, you kind of have to have some antipathy towards what came before. So when you got confirmed, did it feel real? Or were you going through the motions to please your parents? Um, there wasn't any magic moment. It was just, yes, this is what I believe, and it was good that my parents had me baptized, because... Had your bases covered. Had my bases covered in case something happened, I suppose. <sighs> Speaking of having bases covered, we've both been baptized multiple times. But we can yeah. talk about that. We can talk about that we'll, later. We'll get there. <laughs> so you stuck with that church I stuck through with that church high school? Somewhat, yes. So here's where the nuance begins. I made a few friends that went to a youth group at a different church. Also an ELCA church. More approachable kids in my actual grade were were going and were having fun because there was a fun youth director there. They had a pool table and they had they had a youth room. Did they have like neon walls and they had paint on the wall, you know? Like they had paint no, okay. That sounds stupid. They had paint on the walls like <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> youth ministry. You got it figured Painted out. Painted walls. Put paint on the wall. But th there was like, you know, mural painting on the walls. Definitely looking campy. So there was a group of like 8 to 12 folks there who were in my grade that um, we hung out and we did things together. And that is way, way more than I could say about the kids who were at my church. But I felt the, the beginnings of spiritual awakeness. The Great um, Awakening? No. A small awakening. Maybe a murmuring in my sleep as I turn over. Hmm. <laughs> okay. But it's safe to say that denominationally you swam in the same pond until you got to college. Yes. Even a little bit after you got to college. But we'll we'll get to that when we talk about Kind of our, our joint college experiences. Yes. So that was that was definitely more of a belonging, more of a community sense to me. Um you know, I liked those people. Were there any cute girls there? Uh yes, there was. My first girlfriend was part of this group and um she introduced me to Christian culture something that I had no idea existed um <laughs> like mm. popular or popular Christian music CCM. was something that I was just like what what is CCM contemporary Christian music okay you still don't know enough about Christian culture Okay, let's see. Michael W. Smith? Y yes. Okay. I heard about... I DC Talk? Uh-huh. Newsboys. New okay, okay. Uh, Amy Grant? Yes. Amy, Amy Grant, J.C. Velasquez, 
Jackie. 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 Oh my gosh. I sorry, Jackie. There was there was a kerfuffle about her too. Oh, because wasn't she, she in like a rom com? Heretic alarm. It seemed a little dumb at the time, but still, I was I like went along with like yeah okay all right I, I won't get any more from you so like, oh, whatever. Not that yeah. I had a big collection of her or anything. Um, yeah. May, okay. So I think it was that she maybe wore an outfit that was like shorter than knee length or something. I yeah probably in retrospect it was very minimal, but at the time. I know I was kind of like, hm. oh, that's disappointing. <laughs> so, like around the same time, around seventh grade, my uncle Matt gave me some comic books, and oh, they were the infamous Chick Track. That was my very first encounter with a different kind of Christianity. Mm. I came into contact with it a little bit through the um the friends i didn't get deep into it until i started like i read the one on evolution and i was like i am gonna do a science fair presentation thing about this and oh and blow everyone away and, and put my Teachers Everyone to shame. Everyone will be like, whoa, I had no idea. And all it really took was one of the guys that I knew then just laughing me off. And I was just like, put in my place. Like, I guess I can't talk about this. I'm being persecuted. It's persecution. It's another, another gem in my crown. Yeah, but... It- I think that represents a turn, like a regression, if I may, towards more dualistic thinking, more extreme thinking. Yeah, definitely. More Um, emphasis on certainty. So, how about you? When did things change in any way from, you know, how it had always been as a kid? Hmm. Well, first of all, let's establish. How, how had it always been? How had things always been? Yes. <laughs> Up until about middle school. So the water I was swimming in, <laughs> to continue the metaphor, was that of fundamentalism and certainty, like we mm. talked about in, in episode two. Toxic water. Right. Early on, I didn't recognize that there could be such a thing as a worldview that was more open-minded. Whereas you might have characterized your childhood church as kind of boring or Mm -hmm. too traditional, too... Stiff. Stiff. Not emotional enough, perhaps. Not very engaged. Yeah. I would say my church experience was the opposite in that whereas your church you characterized as fully controlled, my church felt very out of control. Hmm. As happens with some charismatic denominations. Yes, especially the non-denominational denominations. No joke. Yeah, we won't get into the, the nomenclature there, but very smart move, honestly. To, to pretend like you are denomination-free 
And that sets you up as like the default, right? We're the bias-free church. <laughs> We're only biased against all those other churches that aren't. And another contrast is that your church was dominated by liturgy and these forms and structures. Yes, like template worship. Mm -hmm. My church was driven by prophecy in the sense that there was great value placed on God speaking to members of the congregation individually. Everybody having the opportunity to share what God was telling them. Should make a church feel rather democratic, right? When mm. everyone has the same ability to hear from God as the next person, right? Yeah, kind of like in Ratatouille. Anyone can cook. Okay, maybe that's a bit of a stretch, but here I was. I was thinking you were going. <laughs> no, I thought you maybe had a point where. Oh. The rat in the hat is like the equivalent of the Holy Spirit working in us. <laughs> <laughs> the rat in the hat. Okay. I love that. Okay. So it seems like it should have been a more democratic environment, right? Mm-hmm. But it just so happened that the only people who ever shared their word with the rest of the congregation were men. Mm. There are a few instances that stand out to me. Like the time somebody stood up from like right where he was sitting out in the middle of the, the, the folding, the rows of folding chairs. Yes. And he had a prophecy which just so happened to involve calling out a young man of color. Oh boy. Yep. This was a young indigenous man, actually. Oh. Yeah. And so... He's indigenous, and so pagan witchcraft. Yeah. It's that simple. Oh, boy. I know. Isn't that awful? Mm-hmm. That there's... Yeah. We, we need to have another episode just about spiritual warfare and the occult and oh, how man. we looked at it and how you prayed against we the do. spirit of we Harry do. Potter. Ugh, okay, rub it in. All right. Rub it in. No, I'm going to make it worse. So, you know, earlier tonight when we were talking about the Teletubbies with the kids? Oh, yes. And I was like... Yes. I said, so I know you never saw the show, but do you remember the dust up around, like, potential symbology in Tinky Winky's, like, triangle or whatever? I thought that it was all about homosexuality. Yeah, no, that's what I remember hearing too. Oh, okay. So the did gay, you the gay Teletubby? Did you pray against the spirit of Tinky Winky at your <laughs> church? You leave my Tinky Winky out of this. <laughs> no, this was not at your Lutheran church, right? The, and it also never happened. It also never happened. And another time. Oh my gosh, I'm seeing a pattern. It was another white guy, like middle-aged dude, who wanted to share a word with the group about how God was changing his heart because he had a really hard time with the fact that his daughter was dating a black man and 
now he was coming to accept it. And on the one hand, I'm like, good for you. Like, we definitely all need to be open to change. And that's a wonderful thing that God is changing your heart towards more acceptance. But where were you coming from originally? If this wasn't accompanied by a quit your white supremacy church message, then I don't see how it would be productive. This won't surprise you that in recent years he has kind of gone off the deep end. He has (laughs) characterized himself literally as a prophet of Jesus. He was an old friend of my parents, and so they haven't talked in a good long while, and he... They probably won't again. Right! Right. Um, but they're friends with his ex-wife, who mm. that'd be that'd be a trip to be married to someone who's oh, gone boy. off the deep end like that. Yeah. I mean, they probably don't want to talk to him again because what profit would there be in it? You know, Thank the nice you. thing about Thank a recording. You for that silent eye recording. The nice thing about a recording is that I can since I'm the one in charge of the editing, I can just snip out all those jokes that I deem not Ugh. funny enough. Ugh. I am being censored. My First Amendment rights are being quashed right here in my very own sound booth. <laughs> so this was obviously a stage one church. Mm-hmm. Very simplistic thinking about good and evil in the world. And we were the good guys. You know, it's always intrigued me how in the charismatic churches, you see some of the most artistic, sometimes like really cool expressive stuff, Hmm. but the views that these people hold are so regressive. It's just, it's a combination that seems unlikely. Beautiful and ugly. A shit Sunday. Yay, there you go. So the other thing I remember about we'll call it New Covenant Church, is the speaking in tongues. Mm-hmm. Which, for some folks, it was just a regular thing that they did. I'm really terrible, and my mom is also terrible, but there's this <laughs> one... You know what? You know the story? Yeah, there's this woman who... She would pray in tongues every week, but she always said the same thing over and over again, which it kind of... What did it sound like? Oh, I cannot... No. I'll, okay, I'm not going to imitate it because that would feel too wrong, but the nickname my mom gave her was the Coco Lady. So. Something like that. Yes. <laughs> oh. And that just makes it seem a little less credible of an experience. I don't know. I was too young to attend the youth group at New Covenant, but my oldest sister was, and I remember hearing some of the goss, as they say. Who says? I don't even know. Did I just make that up? I think you did. Gossip? I, f- I must have heard it somewhere. Sharing the goss. Oh, <laughs> the goss. I meant gossip, not gospel. I know what you but, meant. But sharing the goss could be a thing. That could be, like, the name of a mission trip geared towards the youth. And like, first aid, right? The gauze? Gauze bowl? Okay. That was... That was... Do I have permission to cut this? No. No! Okay, whatever. Do I have permission to censor you and violate your First Amendment rights here in your very own sound booth? <sighs> 
You're the boss. But yeah, come along with us to Mexico to share the goss with the lost. The goss with the lost. Do, 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 do. Living in the land of the lost. Yes, that is that is exactly what I was referencing. And as Christians, we felt like we were living in the land of the lost, oh, did we not? Man. Little did we know we were the dinosaurs wandering around. Oh, nice one. Nice one. But, okay, youth group. I got the sense that the experience of speaking in tongues among the, the teenagers there was sort of like... It was akin to the... Did you get your period yet? Question. Like, everyone was kind of waiting. When is it my turn? When is it going to happen? Is it going to be scary? Is it going to be weird? It just, it in retrospect, that seems like such an odd thing to be focusing on as a young adult. Yeah. Does it not? It's nonsense. So I witnessed speaking in tongues. I saw the value placed on it. It was sort of a badge of how Christian you could be mm-hmm. if if you received the Holy Spirit. And I never spoke in tongues at that church. But I do remember that sense of pressure around essentially being able to perform the Holy Spirit in you. Mm-hmm. Like I have cooking, cooking the stew with the right ingredients because the rat in the hat is directing you. <laughs> I have a feeling that every church that emphasizes the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues has exactly that dynamic. Oh, you don't speak in tongues? What's wrong with you? Are you are you harboring some secret sin? Oh, do it's always have, about the secret do sin. A, do you have a body in your backyard or... Is there some unforgiveness in your life that you need to let go of? Just let it flow. Let it flow from the depths of your soul. That reminds me. (laughs) I'm sorry. You're scary good. You've internalized this stuff. Yes, I am scary good. It reminds me of that video. Was it a TikTok or something? The dog? Yes. (laughs) Where it's like a bulldog who's just like gently resting its paw on another dog, another dog, and then somebody did a voiceover like praying in tongues, as and it though was... it was a Pentecostal preacher who was praying for this other dog. Yeah. So the the performativity of attending a church like this that really got to me as a kid because I was extremely socially awkward, I was extremely shy. I was extremely introverted, and I remember feeling intensely uncomfortable in that environment because I got the sense that somebody was attempting to manipulate my emotions and was expecting me to react in a certain way, and I just resented that. Spoiler alert. They were attempting to. You knew that, though. You have known that. Well... Maybe not at the time. No, I mean, the thing is, I know it now, but you don't know it as a kid. And as a kid, instead of being able to see the situation for what it really is, you internalize that into, oh, I'm a bad person. Mm -hmm. And I had extreme guilt for years. And It worked. I, I can't blame this one church for instilling that 
sense of guilt in me because I feel guilty about anything and everything. But mm. as a child, that was unnecessary. And even my parents were like, Annie, you need to smile more at church or people will think you're being abused. Like, my mom literally said those words to me. It's terrible. Isn't Yeah. And now... It's all about appearances, kid. Keep them up. And now I can't ever let her listen to this podcast. Sorry, Annie's mom, if you did find this podcast. And I had a huge attitude problem. In retrospect, it was probably warranted to some extent, but I thought I was just a super bad kid. And eventually my family moved to an evangelical church in town, which was much calmer, much more controlled. And I didn't find myself experiencing the same kind of, I don't want to call it panic attacks, but it was sort of those moments of like that sense of claustrophobia and like, I need to get out of here. Right. Mm. Like bouts of social anxiety, whatever. And I was curious about why we made that shift as a family, and I wondered for a while if it had to do with me, because I did put up such a fight about going to church. In fact, I don't know if I even have ever told you this, Benton, but did I tell you that my family stopped going to church entirely for a season? Really? When I was... when like I was between those two? I was probably 12 or so. Hmm. Probably younger, actually. Um, we did a home church, and by home church I mean just our family sitting in the living room, my dad playing worship songs on the piano, and reading out of the Bible. Isn't that cute? Yeah. Did I like it any better? No. So I asked my mom why did we eventually move to this evangelical church, and... She said it actually didn't have anything to do with me. So here I was giving myself way too much credit. And in fact, what kind of drove it was an experience that my older sister had. They had been busing folks down to a town where there was like a revival preacher there. Okay. And my oldest sister had attended one of these trips down there and was getting prayed over, and the pastor said that she had a demon and that it was somehow residing in her jewelry. Oh, boy. And therefore, she had to dispose of all her jewelry Okay. to get rid of the evil spirits. I mean, we could check with the Ghostbusters, but I've never seen any demonized jewelry myself. And that was traumatizing for her because she was already experiencing the onset of a mental illness that would debilitate her for the rest of her life. Hmm. The church had no answer to that other than it's a demon, which is awful. And so I'm glad that my parents recognized that this was not cool. They talked to their pastor at New Covenant about this incident and they were just like, oh, well. Cover, cover, cover. You go. It's her fault. You go talk to this pastor yourself. Like, it's between him and... In other words, they just didn't back my sister up. They didn't defend her at all. Nobody stepped in. And 
of course, this was witnessed by a bunch of her peers and mentors. And yeah, I get why as a parent, if that happened to my kid, I'd be like, no fucking way we're sticking around here. Too hard to get the toothpaste back in the tube. And so at the evangelical church, what I remember about that one was that it was more predictable Mm. in a way that was good for me. Yeah. But don't get me started on how appreciating unpredictability is a sign that you're open to the Holy Spirit because (laughs) that has messed me up many a time. And I would say that this was also a stage one church in that it was still very focused on there's a right and a wrong way to view every conceivable thing in the world. It was just less rabid? Yeah. It was more buttoned up. Civilized. That doesn't mean that it was less sexist. Hmm. I specifically remember there was one women's pastor, but she couldn't be a preaching pastor. She was like the pastor of care or something. Hmm. Right. The pastor of nobody cares about this. And she gave a little talk on Mother's Day of all days in front of the church. And there were men in the congregation who were pissed off about that because women should not be allowed to teach. And I remember one of this one of the specific dudes who was spouting that stuff because my preteen self was taking an adult Bible study at one point and this guy was insufferable. And I don't know that my charismatic church was as doctrinally sexist if that makes sense i think it was just sort of the way things were that women just happened to not get the prophecies that were worth sharing with the whole Mm. group i don't know coincidentally rather than formally exactly sexist yeah funny how that happens the other thing i remember about this church is that they held a viewing of the Left Behind movie starring Kirk Cameron. Okay, tell the story. And you got you got that movie for a Christmas present. It was actually a movie poster. Well, a movie poster. It wasn't even a movie. With Kirk just... Cameron's face. And you said it was pretty much the best movie ever. Uh, there was videographic evidence. I know. That this happened. I know. Okay, so Benton was watching a home movie from years ago. I was I must have been 13. I opened my Christmas present and I was like, "Yeah, Left Behind. It's pretty much my favorite movie." Like it would like that was of a all time. Like that was a cool thing to say. Cringe. Much cringe. Yes, we should talk. We will have to have another separate episode just for The Rapture. That wouldn't be a bad idea. Bigger. Premillennial dispensationalism? The whole study of end times. Eschatology. On eschatology. Oh, boy. that Yeah, there'd be a lot to get into there. Eschatology. It's the future. Indeed. Couldn't help myself, and you want to keep it. You saying <laughs> that doesn't make it happen. <laughs> a guy can hope. That brings us to college. 
I would say that was when my stage two faith started to flourish, again, according to McLaren's phases idea, yes. where this is about independence and pragmatism, and I think nothing illustrates that pragmatism aspect better than the buffet of college church groups that we could select from. Whatever tickled our fancy. Whatever tickled your fancy? Tickle your own fancy, thank you very much. I'll tickle my own fancy, thank you very much. But seriously, how many groups were there? Like, I can think of the big three, Campus Crusade for Christ. Right. Which, how awful of a name. Crusade. Right? Oh, man. Like, it's yeah. like they're proud of this idea of... Okay, that reminds me of that one book that was like... And this was... Clucking to Young? Yeah, why we love the church. Why we love the church and... That they wrote, like, probably 15 years ago. Fuck you for bringing up the Crusades. No, like, literally, one of their arguments in that book was, you guys, the Crusades wasn't all that bad. And I'm just like, if this is the kind of defense you're putting up, like, you are hopeless. I mean, it wasn't completely a genocide. It was just a little genocide, guys. So, crew, as it was popularly called, mm -hmm. was the closest fit to the church I had just come from at my hometown. Yes. The evangelical denomination. And I will say there was one good thing that came out of crew. Hmm. You can't guess what it is? Oh... Meeting a certain person who is also in this sound booth? Yes. Yes. At a root beer kegger hosted by crew. Oh, yeah. My first week of college ever. Mm -hmm. And you were a few years older than me, so you were like a senior at that point, I think. Mm -hmm. And you were... I was too cool for school. You were too cool for school. <laughs> you probably thought <laughs> I was... still there. You thought I was a ditz, I'm sure. Well, you and were you all, were you were all bright eyed and bushy tailed, and I was all jaded and cute. And... I was cute. Well, Admit well, it. Yes, you thought you were cute. so. Sure, you were cute. Yes. And you sitting in the corner in your Hawaiian shirt and your root beer, long hair, were not cute, but you were a person, and I was excited to be, you know. I'm Meeting so, new people. I'm so glad that I rate so highly in your years ago self's perception that I was a person. Fun story. My friends and I gave you a nickname. Mm-hmm. And we called you that for years. Mr. Awkward. Yep. Because you were, I mean, admittedly, you were and are awkward. Not yeah. as much as you were. And I have no problem with that. Right, you, you're you're coolly awkward. You're acceptingly awkward. Acceptably awkward. Anyway, when I told those friends that we were engaged, they were like, OMG, you're going to be Mrs. Awkward. So here we are. Benton and Annie Awkward. Mm-hmm. Mr. and Dr. Awkward. Then there was InterVarsity. Right? Did mm -hmm. you ever go to InterVarsity? I don't think so. What what denomination is that even associated with? 
I have no idea. That was that was a smaller group. It wasn't as cool. Yep. Right? So if yep. you got No, you you know. It's true. Okay, let's do this. So <laughs> if the campus Christian groups were cliques at a high school, crew would be the jocks. Do you think? I think so. Yeah. The jocks and the cool kids. So InterVarsity, I didn't I Sadly, I don't know enough about them to characterize them. Maybe they were maybe they were the bookish ones. Maybe they were like the uh English club of El Club de Inglés. So, there was Chi Alpha. Okay. Which... And what table at the in the cafeteria were they? I've got my idea. But I want to hear what you think first, because you were way more into Chi Alpha when I met you than I was. I think that they would be the really noisy throwing shit table. <laughs> okay, I was having s- a good time, but I was going to say theater kids. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Maybe, I... maybe the goth kids. Oh, the brooding, boy, I don't know. the black hoodies, the studded belts. They were goth affirming. <laughs> True. What other groups am I forgetting? Oh, you you had attended the Lutheran Center, right? Mm-hmm. It was Lutheran camp at church. We'd sing camp songs. There was a liturgy, of course. It's not surprising, I guess. That's where you started out when you first went to college. Mm-hmm. I started out at Crew, so we both kind of navigated towards our comfort zones. Yeah, but we both moved out from there, certainly, for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. Did you attend enough crew to like have any anecdotes or memories about it? I honestly did not. They weren't Christian enough for you. I don't know if it was really that. Sure, I wasn't quite there when I was, you know, Lutheran me, but. Then I kind of leapfrogged over it when I went to, you know, Chi Alpha me. We should clarify, Chi Alpha was Assemblies of God. Yes. Chi Alpha is, I believe, almost always associated with a local Assemblies of God church. And what can you tell us about Assemblies of God? Um, in a nutshell, it is a Pentecostal with a seatbelt, generally. With a seatbelt. With wow. a seatbelt, yes. Oh, right, right. They are denominational. So there is a an accountability structure, which is not typical of your you know, John exactly. the Baptist voice in the wilderness. Wild man going preach you to Jesus. Kind of. The particular Chi Alpha I went to was, was not led by an outwardly charismatic or charismatic in any sense of the word (laughs) kind of person. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Mm -hmm. The pastor and his wife. Pastor Bob. Oh, and his pot belly. I'm terrible. Pastor Bob. Pasta Bob. Pasta Bob. That's why he had a pot belly. Belly of Bob. Pasta. Belly pasta. I'm saying words. (laughs) I have a word from our sponsors here. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, so 
Pastor Bob. You know what I think was so cute? What? He and his wife hosted a cooking class for the Chi Alpha students. Mm -hmm. It's true. That's adorable. And probably one of the more practical things you learned there. Oh, I'm sure. Let me ask you this. Do you remember why the Chi Alpha meetings were so well attended in February's? Oh, yes. Because February has Valentine's Day in it. February was the Dating and Mating series every year. Wait, literally they called it Dating and Mating? I think, well, it was variations on a theme, I'm sure, but... But here's why people went. The pastor's wife, what was her name? Becky? Sure. She was very she, TMI. She did not have a filter when it no, came to that stuff. And not it was at all. so cringy and so Schadenfreude. It was fun to watch. It's true. <laughs> Do you remember anything specific? Oh, boy. She touched on the boy, it was hard to keep pure coming up to that wedding day, but. Nervous <sighs> chuckles. Nervous amongst chuckles. Amongst the audience. Yeah. Let's press pause on this for now. When we pick up, I want to hear about your experience going to that convention where you accidentally accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Oops. All right. That's coming up. 